Well, welcome to uh, the second reflection of Reflections in Jeremiah. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, we're going to be looking specifically at verse 5 um, this afternoon. But I just want to do a quick review of last week. Uh, last week we kind of just did a quick overview of the book of Jeremiah and then we looked specifically at the call of Jeremiah, where God called Jeremiah, and, um, and he said these words in, in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so we saw in that passage just how God is sovereign over Jeremiah's life, um, that he's been consecrated, set apart by God, specifically to be a prophet to the nations. So chapter 1 is really the, it focuses in on uh, Jeremiah's calling as the prophet of God. And, and near the end of chapter 1, um, he tells Jeremiah that he is going to bring judgment upon the people of Israel. And then in chapter 2, God directly commands Jeremiah to begin prophesying to the people of Israel, uh, warning them, speaking to them about uh, impending judgment, um, speaking to them about their um, idol worship, about their forsaking God. Um, and so he begins in chapter 2 to, to speak on God's behalf. And in chapter 2 specifically, Jeremiah is given the task by God to confront Israel for forsaking God, for being uh, unfaithful to the covenant. In a sense, the language is so strong that you could say that Israel played the whore. Uh, they, they, they played the adulterous wife, so to speak. So let me read to us just verses 1 to 8 of chapter 2 to kind of give you a little bit of the picture of what's happening in chapter 2. So listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me, that is Jeremiah, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clowns of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong... Did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not they did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. That's a little bit of the context of chapter 2. Chapter 2 actually goes on for... Um, about another uh, 20 verses or so with 
just more of this confronting Israel over forsaking God. But I want to draw your attention specifically to verse 5 and just the one phrase that is said there. Um, here, God is speaking to Israel through Jeremiah, and he's reminding them of their forefathers. He's saying, your fathers were with me in the, the wilderness, in the desert. And while they were there, they went far from me. And this is what he says. And they went after worthlessness and became worthless. And God's basically saying to Israel at this time, you've become like your forefathers. In fact, you're really no different. You have forsaken me just as they forsaked me. But this line uh, that Jeremiah says, and they went after worthlessness and became worthless, is something for us to ponder and to think about. Their devotion to worthlessness made them worthless. They became, hear this, they became what they were devoted to. There's a, a principle in the Bible, and the principle is, is pretty simple, but it's it's really immersed all throughout the scriptures, and, and that is you become whatever you devote yourself to. You become what you worship, what you love. You become what you behold and treasure. In other words, you are what you worship, or you are what you eat. So, for example, if, if someone is uh, devoted to, um, in love with the pursuit of wealth and money, how might they become like money? How might they become like the thing that they value and worship? Well, when you think about what money is, money is indifferent. Money doesn't care about your feelings. It's emotionless. Um, money really has no sense of love for anyone. It's just money. And you'll find that people who tend to live for wealth, who are devoted to, beginning, to becoming as wealthy as they possibly can, they become callous. They become indifferent to the needs of others. They lack empathy and care for people because they are so consumed by their first love, which is wealth. Or you think of people who are obsessed with uh, entertainment, social media, quick fix. Um, it's no wonder that we live in a culture, a society, where individuals find it difficult to contemplate deep and beautiful realities. Like, for example, the nature and work of God. You know, it's interesting... Jeremiah, this, this principle here that they became worthless because they devoted themselves to worthlessness, this principle is carried out in regards to, for example, idolatry in the Old Testament. Um, so in, in Psalm 115, David um, says this about the other nations and, and their worship of idolatry. And he, he says this in verse 2, Why should the nation say, in regards to Israel, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And then he says this about the nation's gods, the nation's idols. 
Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. They do not speak. And then here's what he says in verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Did you catch that? So those who make these idols, they become like the idols. How, do, how are these idols? They don't speak. They don't see. They don't hear. They don't smell. They don't feel. They don't walk. They're blind, deaf, and dumb. But it's not just those who make them. It's also those who trust in them. You become what you worship. You worship a deaf, dumb, non-speaking idol. You will become deaf, dumb, and non-speaking. That's why, for example, in Isaiah 6, when God commissions Isaiah and calls Isaiah to preach to the people, it's interesting how God describes the people of Israel. He describes them as hearing but never actually hearing. They have ears but they cannot hear. They have eyes but they cannot see. And, and part of the reason why God is speaking about Israel that way is because Israel handed themselves over to the worship of idols. And so they've become the very thing that they worship. Though they have ears, they cannot hear. They cannot hear the voice of God. Though they have eyes, they cannot see and understand the things of God. They have handed themselves over to their idolatry. You see, they are like their idols because they are devoted to their idols. You know, I think this principle is partly one of the reasons why so many Christians tend to struggle to really find delight in Christ, really find it difficult to focus and meditate and contemplate all the beauties of Christ. Here's why I think that is, is we in a, live in a culture where we give our minds to so much shallow, meaningless, trivial things. And then we wonder why we can't sit still for an hour to contemplate some of the deep realities of the universe, the deep realities of who God is and what he has done in human history. You see, the Apostle Paul understood this principle in the Old Testament, which we saw here in Jeremiah, but also in Isaiah and even in Psalm 115, that you become what you worship or you become what you're devoted to or what you behold. Because in 2 Corinthians 3, um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he's speaking here about this veil that's been placed over the eyes of those under the Old Covenant, but, but Christ seeks to remove the veil. But, but he says this about those of us who have had the veil removed, and now we are able to behold Christ. And he says this, in 2 Corinthians, sorry, I'm in the wrong book, um, 2 Corinthians 3, 
in verse 18, and he says, And we all, with unveiled face, the veil's been removed, we're able to see, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of Christ. So, so setting our mind, setting our heart, setting our eyes upon the glory of Christ or the beauty of Christ, beholding the glory of the Lord, what happens? We are being transformed. You see that? So Paul's logical argument is, as we behold the Lord, as we behold Christ in his radiance and beauty, we are being transformed into what though? Well, as he says, into the same image. See that? Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image, the same image as Christ. We are being transformed into his image. That's why in Romans 8, 29, when Paul says that for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. And then he, he says, why? So that we might be conformed to the image of his son. So beholding Christ leads to being transformed into his image. Simply put, devotion to Christ means you will become like Christ. Loving, worshiping, treasuring Christ means you will become like Christ. You will begin to reflect him in your life. What is it that he's like? I mean, what is it about Christ that is so worthy of our affection, our attention? Well, let me just list off some things about Christ that if we behold him, we will become like. He's good humble, courageous, kind, merciful, compassionate, strong, wise, gentle, loving, pure, holy, righteous, joy-filled, patient, faithful, intentional, and, and the list could go on. See, when you truly behold Christ, you'll be transformed into his likeness. So here's a simple test on whether or not you're truly beholding Christ. Are you becoming more like him? Are you becoming more like him? I don't mean that you're perfectly like him. None of us are. But if you are truly a Christian and you have spent time focusing your heart and your mind upon Christ over years or even months you will begin to become more like him. The things that once had a hold on you, the, the grip will loosen. So the simple question is, are you becoming like him? See, the, the question isn't, are you beholding him? Because anyone could say, yeah, I'm beholding him. But a better way to know if you're beholding him is, are you becoming like him? Are you becoming like him? You know, on our church website, I haven't really spoken of this a whole lot, but I've kind of uh, put a vision statement on our church website that, that I haven't really taught on, but I hope to do in the future. But I thought it was timely just to address it here because it says, We exist to behold and proclaim the beauty of Christ for the joy of all people. So we exist as followers of Christ 
to behold the radiance, the glory, the beauty of Christ. I believe that is the number one priority, the goal of the Christian life, is to behold Christ in all of his radiance and beauty and to give him the worship that is due him because of it. Now, in our beholding him, as Paul says here, we will be transformed. And that transformation will lead to us proclaiming, as I say here, proclaiming the beauty of Christ. Proclaiming, proclaiming not only in word, but also in deed. Our life will reflect his very character, and we will proclaim the beauty of Christ. What do I mean by the beauty of Christ? Simply, everything that is beautiful about Jesus all the things that I listed, his goodness, his love, his grace, his kindness. So we exist to behold as Christians the beauty, the glory of Christ, and to proclaim it with our words and with our lives. For what end? For the joy of all people. In other words, if we do this, people will then also see the glory and beauty of Christ, and that will lead to joy in Christ. And so... This is what we are about as Christians, not just at Royal York. This is what it means to be a Christian. Beholding Christ, we are being transformed into his very own image. So way of application, some of you may conclude that in light of this, you need to read your Bible more. And, and that is true. And, and I want to encourage you to, to take more time um, to really truly meditate upon Christ read the Bible, read good books. Um, but, but I also want to say this. We don't merely behold Christ in the Bible, though that's the main place we go to. But we need to remember that the universe is the work of his hands. Creation is the work of his hands. Humanity is the work of his hands. Which means... That beholding Christ can be found in several different places. It can be found in creation. It can be found in, in art. It can be found in music, even movies, literature, friendship, marriage. We can actually behold Christ in all of these things. As I shared on Sunday, I, I've been able to behold Christ as I've just learned a little bit of what it means to be a father over these last several weeks. There's... There's a plethora of ways to behold Christ in our world, but we have to be willing to engage, to, to think, to meditate, to reflect upon who Christ is and how he is at work in our world. And so while you're at home, while we're still um, in self-isolation, I hope that you're using your time wisely. And that you're fixing your eyes on Jesus and that you're having your heart and your mind focused upon him and finding satisfaction in him. Brothers and sisters, the more we behold him, the more we will become like him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your word is true. And we are reminded, Lord, that if we give ourselves to worthlessness, we will become worthless so, Lord, give us, give us an intense zeal to forsake the worthlessness of this world and to pursue all that is good, true, and beautiful, all that is ultimately summed up in Christ. Give us a zeal and a desire and a longing 
to look upon the face of Christ, to see his beauty, his goodness, his kindness, his passion, his zeal, his gentleness, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his love, Lord. And Lord, as we behold him by your spirit, help us to also be transformed into his very likeness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, church, I can promise you that we're still going to be in chapter two next week as well. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to meeting or not meeting, but doing this again next week, next week with you as well. God bless.